Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. We're going to finish the chapter, and we're going to just tell two stories this morning before we share together in communion. The first story is of Jesus in the midst of a storm, and Jesus is going to demonstrate in this storm his power over nature. So beginning, and by the way, the people in the next couple of miracles had a need for peace, and Jesus provides that peace. If I speak to anyone here this morning or that is listening uh, along with us that need peace, listen to this message. Beginning of verse 23, now when he, Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. They were in such a tremendous storm that they thought they were going to die. By the way, you remember half of the disciples, six of the 12 were professional fishermen. They had been out in these seas. They had, you know, braved these kinds of storms. They probably knew people who had died in them. And so they're going, so when they say, Lord, we're not going to survive this one, it's real. Verse 26, but he said unto them, why are you fearful? O you of little faith. Ooh, big lessons coming in this one. It seems like the most obvious thing in the world that you should be afraid of a storm that could kill you. And Jesus is saying, what's your problem? What are you scared of? Why do you have such little faith? And then he arose and he did something he had never done before. He talked to nature. He rebuked the winds, and then he rebuked the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Wow. So I want to start off in this story, pull some things out of it for you and I. Um, and I, I, you know, you think about the, these fishermen, and by the way, <coughs> Excuse me. On the southern edge of the Sea of Galilee, that's, that's where this little, these little fishing villages were. And in that area, there is a mountain called Arbel, just to the uh, east. And there's kind of a canyon. And then, you know how we have uh, uh, Santa Ana winds, really strong winds that blow from the desert? Same thing comes from east of Israel, and then it gets funneled through this little deal, and then it blows powerfully, violently, dangerously, and creates life-threatening storms. It's been that way for the last 2,000 years. As it was then, it still happens to this day. Modern fishermen on Galilee say, this end of the Sea of Galilee, it really happens, just like it says in the Bible. So the question that we come to in all of this, you know, is these guys are hanging on for dear life, why would Jesus knowingly lead his disciples into storms? Um, And for that matter, why would he lead you and me into a storm? Have you ever wondered that? Lord, what are you doing? We're going into a storm. And why? And you know, you're God and I'm your son and you're supposed to take care of me and protect me and we're going into a storm. What's up with that? Okay, so let's look at some of the things we can take away from this. Number one, why? To teach us some things. Let me put it this way to you. As a son or daughter of God, your father, your dad, has a lot of things to teach you. When you get saved, you're a baby, a baby Christian. 
little baby boy, little baby girl, baby son, baby daughter, you are, you are of now royal and divine birthright. You have tremendous authority that is going to be yours because of who your daddy is and tremendous supernatural power. But you got to learn how to get prepared to be able to use and exercise that authority and power. Therefore, God needs to teach you some things and, and me, and there are some things you and I will never learn from a textbook or from somebody else. Sometimes you have to personally go through a storm so you can learn things about God, learn things about yourself that you would never otherwise learn. Okay, here's the second thing I want you to take away. Number two, the storm came because they obeyed the Lord and not because, like Jonah, they had disobeyed him. You guys remember the story of Jonah? God comes to his prophet Jonah and goes, hey, Jonah, there's all these wicked people over in Nineveh. You heard of Nineveh. He goes, oh, yeah, I can't stand those people. He goes, I know. Would you go preach to them to repent or I'm going to come and judge them? And Jonah says, mm-mm, no. Why? Because I don't like them. Well, what do you mean you don't like them? Well, if I go preach to them, maybe some of them will repent. And then, God, you're so forgiving and loving, you'll forgive them. And I don't want you to forgive them. So I ain't going. So he turns around, gets in a boat, and takes off in the other direction. So God says, hey, dude. <laughs> he sends a storm. So all these experienced sailors are going, man, we're going to die. What's going on? And so they're trying to discern what happened. And it comes to this guy, Jonah. They go, we don't know what, but we've been searching. And it's because of you. And he goes, yeah. Basically, because God, the creator of the whole universe, he wanted me to go preach to these people. I don't want to do it. And so I'm the reason uh, that you guys have this storm. And they're going, well, then what should we do? And he goes, throw me overboard so I can die. He doesn't say, turn the boat around so I can go back and obey God. He goes, throw me overboard. I'd rather drown than go preach to them and them get saved. That's, now that's pride and prejudice right there. <laughs> so they go, no, we couldn't possibly. Oh, okay. And they throw... Well, Jonah ended the sea, and, he blub, blub, blub. and then a big fish swallows him, swims around for three days, and then spits him up. Where was he? He lands on a shore with a little sign that says Nineveh this way. <laughs> so the point is, sometimes storms come because you're running away from God. Ah, but not all times. Sometimes storms come because you are obeying the Lord. They were in the will of the Lord. So number three. Jesus is asleep in the storm. This is the will of the Father. The Father told him, hey, get in the boat, go to the other side, preach to those people. He is asleep in the storm because he rested in his Father's will. The waves are sweeping over this small vessel, and Jesus is found sleeping. Why? Because that day had been a long exhausting day. Remember, he went to Peter's mother-in-law's house and, and he healed her of fever. And then at the end of the day, when sun went down, everybody's Sabbath is over and all, you know, hundreds of people are coming with sick people and diseased people and demon-filled people. And Jesus ministers late into the night. And finally, he goes to his boat. And when he gets into the boat, he goes, yeah, the father said, we got to go to the other side. Good night. And he goes to sleep. And then this big storm rises up and he doesn't even wake up. So what's interesting about this is uh, that Jesus is at rest. He is at total peace because he knows that he is in the will of the Lord. You and I can also have that same rest and that same peace. Why? How can you possibly be at peace when you've got a storm that's like we could die in this? Um, and I liken it to, you know, if you use this analogy, uh, going to Disneyland. Why do millions of people go to Disneyland with their, their little kids or their grandkids, right? 
So you, you go to Disneyland, and then they have these rides. And the, the purpose of some of these rides is to make you sick. That's the whole goal, the whole deal, right? So you're, you know, at a certain point, you're like, yeah, been on that one, done that one. Yeah, you guys go. And they're like, no, 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 come on, Papa, come on, Papa. Oh, we want to go on this one, this one. The one, that, the one that you most don't want to go on is the one that they want to go on right now, right? So there you are. You wait for two hours in line for the two-minute ride. Okay, here we go. Then you get in. And then they, <laughs> to, to let you know how serious it is, they strap you in. And then this bar goes, mm, like this. And they're all, woohoo! And you're just rolling your eyes. And then, and then the most terrifying sound in the world. You go like this, and it goes, click, 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 click. I hate that clicking sound. <laughs> then, as if that's not bad enough, you get to the top and they kind of coast and you're like this and they let you dangle and look at 30,000 feet below, which surely you're going to perish. And then just when you're looking like I'm going to die, then it goes, Mah! the bottom drops out and you're going like this. You're screaming your head off. Along with the kids, they're having the time of their lives, and you're, th you're praying, thank God, please don't let them take that picture that makes me look like, ah, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you come back around, and then, you know, you stop. And then you're like, you get off. You're like, thank God I'm alive, and let me get some coffee. And they're like, let's do it again, you know. <laughs> But here's the deal. Why do millions of people go there? Why do millions of kids drag their moms and dads, parents, and whatever to go there? because they want to go through a storm, but here's the deal with the storms they put you through. You're on a guided track, and everywhere you go, just, you know, they've got it just designed, just so, with all these engineers, to give you a thrill, to give you a ride, and then come to the end of it. May I say that's how God uses some storms. You have to go through them, but know that you're on a guided track, you're going to land safely. Usually storms are short and intense, but they do come to an end. This too shall pass, all right? So you, you and I can rest, and once you've experienced it and been through it, there's a point at which, if you're a young believer, let me let you know, you, you will go, yeah, been here. I've been through this once before. This time I can relax as we go through the ride the Lord has, has put before us. Number four, Jesus, they learned, has power over our circumstances. He did something they had never seen before. When you go through a storm, God is getting ready to do something you have never seen him do before. He rebuked the wind. They didn't know he could talk to nature or the sea. And I mean, it must have been shocking. I would give anything to have been in that ride, death-defying as it seemed, and to be in the boat and up and down, your stomach, you know, like going through whatever, and then to see Jesus stand up and go, be still, boom, and to the waves, silence. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, they're just standing there and all dripping wet. And it, it was so incredible and so intense. This could only have come by a miracle of the power of God. This was obviously not the work of a mere man or even of a gifted rabbi. Jesus revealed his eternal power to confirm he is the promised Messiah And he is, he's not from here, man. He's been sent from the Father up above. Amen? That's a powerful thing to learn. And sometimes you only learn it when we go through a storm pre-designed by God to have an end. We will survive. We will make it. We will learn and glean some great things. I also want to say this. I, I think this is that one story of, the, of being in the storm 
I, I think that's one of the ones they talked about at the little campfires for the next three and a half years. Remember when we were out in Galilee? Remember when we just began to follow Jesus in the beginning and we thought we were going to die and he got up and he goes like this to the wind and the waves. Wow. Their faith no doubt grew in new ways from having gone through the storm. So I say to you this morning, everyone, and this is all of us, every single one of us, there are some short, brief, but in extremely intense storms between now and getting into the kingdom of heaven. They're coming. They are coming. And know this, the Lord is with you. He loves you. And I want you to take this away. The question is not how bad the storms are, but rather, do you have Jesus in your boat? Man, you make sure whatever it takes. I got Jesus in the boat. I'm with him. My vote is with him. I'm walking with him. I'm in relationship and intimacy with him. Because that's how you come through those kinds of storms. All right. Well, let's go to the next story, the last story for the morning, where Jesus shows his power not only over nature, but over spiritual forces. All right. So we begin in verse 28. It says, and now when he had come to the other side. So, okay, they went through the storm. They learned some interesting lessons about Jesus and about faith and all of that. And now they come to the country of the Gergesenes, and there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them there was a herd of swine feeding, So the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. And that must have been a sight. 2,000 pigs running, galloping down to this cliff, and then, whoo, did the first swine, the swine flew into the Sea of Galilee. Is that, is that, okay. Do not use that one again. It's also the first recorded place of deviled ham. I'm just saying, just saying, please. Okay. Now, what's going on with these people, the Gergesenes, and they they got all these pigs and everything? This is, you know, quite clearly not a Jewish area. Jesus has been in the Jewish areas, Capernaum, Bethsaida, and all of that. How do we know it's a Gentile area? Because they're raising pigs. I don't know if you knew that or not, but Jews and pigs don't go together. They're not kosher. So it was a Gentile area, showing Jesus is not only concerned for the Jews and the children of Israel, he has a heart for the whole world. And these two men are hanging out in the, they can't control, society can't control them. They leave them alone. They're afraid of them. They're fierce. They're violent. They, they live in the graveyard and they're demon possessed. Now in scriptures, demons are part of the fallen angels who rebelled against God before the foundations of the world. You can read more about it in Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, and the chief fallen cherub. Actually, this is weird, but he originally was the highest kind of angel there is. There's seraphs, 
other kinds of angels, winged and non-winged, but then the highest one seemed to be cherub. He was the chief cherub and became known as Satan or Satan, the adversary of God. And he leads the lesser spirits known as demons. And uh, it's not really surprising that at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, there would be all this incredible, exponential manifestation of demonic activity, because these evil spirits wanted to stop the message and the methods of the kingdom of heaven. And may I just say to you that even as 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came the first time, there was an acceleration of demonic activity. Many of us believe that we are living in the days soon for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Therefore, not surprisingly, there is an increase of evil and demonic activity that is happening. Uh, Can I hear an amen on that? And I also, um, well, well, let's go to the next one. I'll, I'll save that for just a moment. The story is most revealing because it shows what Satan does to a man, okay? Here's what we, some takeaways we learn from it. Number one, demons take away our sanity and self-control, and they give us fear. I'm not talking about normal fear, human fear. I'm talking something that is, it makes you just shake, and you can't shake the fear. That's often a sign that it's demonic, is that it just shakes you, and you can't, it, just, it doesn't go away. It just gets worse. Starts playing with your mind, and you start kind of losing it on various levels. Number two... Uh, it destroys home and friends. When the devil gets involved, he destroys relationships. Those closest to you, all of a sudden, you take things a different way, you start getting offended at everything, and, and you, you start feeling you, you can't connect, even with those who are part of your family or even with your friends. Thirdly, it then condemns that man or woman that gets tagged with this demonic stronghold to an eternity of judgment. They come to rob, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, here's the next thing. We learn in this story of how Jesus delivered these two men, because the demons speak through them, so we get to learn kind of what demons believe, which is really kind of shocking. And I want you to look at this. Number one, demons believe in the existence of God. Now, you can go through all your philosophies and other things, atheism, this and that, but when you get to a demon, they go, no, 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 yeah, we know, there is a God. Read with me James chapter 2, verse 19. Let's read it out loud. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. All right? Number two, they believe in the deity of Christ. These are spirits, real demons, and they know who Jesus is. And not only do they know who he is, they know his identity. He's the Lord. They prayed to him. They were afraid of him. They knew who he was, deity. He is God, the eternal Son, the, the manifestation of the Father, the Messiah. And then thirdly, they believe in the reality of future judgment. They know that we got a limited time, and then we're going to get what's coming to us. You haven't come to do that early, have you? So they know that there is a day of future judgment, not only for the angels, but for all men made in the image of God. And I just, I just want to say this. Because, you know, I mean, it seems kind of obvious. Here we are at church, we're reading from the Bible, and I assume most of you believe that the supernatural is real, that angels are real, that demons are real. Do you believe that? Yeah? But I also know this. The Lord told me that there are some who are hearing this message 
You're either here physically or you're watching or you're listening online. And by the way, many younger people who have not yet experienced this, and you're skeptics and you're kind of like, eh, it's all in their head. It's not really real. And I know you don't really believe in this particular aspect of it. And I'm telling you, it's so important. The Lord told me to do something. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for any skeptics, uh, young or old, millennials or whatever, I pray right now by the authority and the name of Jesus Christ that God opens your spiritual eyes and that you see the spirit world is real. Both sides, the heavenly side, the kingdom side, the dark side, the demonic side. In the name of Jesus, may you see through the window. May it be revealed and exposed both the power of the love of God but the darkness and the torment that comes. By the way, the one word associated with the demonic realm that will make it known that it's real to you is torment either mentally, emotionally, physically, and you can't shake it. And as a human being, you're being pounded and driven down into the ground. I'm telling you it's real. And in the name of Jesus, may you at least discover that because that will help you wake up and say, whoo, I'm running the other way. Amen? So let me also say... Briefly, there was uh, some years ago, not that far ago, but when I personally went through a deep, dark time, depressing time, spiritual warfare time, and um, I'm just telling you, this was my personal experience. You know, as a pastor, I got a bullseye on my back. I don't know if you knew that, and I really do need your prayers especially venturing out saying, man, fire's coming, glory, revival, and we're going and preaching, and kids are coming to the Lord on campuses and all of that, so will you pray for me? But I went through this deep uh, darkness, and the enemy, and do you know, the statistics on pastors are very depressing. Over 90% of them over the long haul do not make it. Nine out of 10, they get taken out one by one. The enemy wants to take them out. So the enemy had, you know, he, he came and he tried, and I, I had to press into the Lord. So part of what you're getting now, of what you see, hear, feel, whatever, is when I turned to the Lord and I pressed into the Lord, that God would just help me and pull me up and pull me out and deliver me. And I know that there are many of you who have had something similar and experienced it. And, it is, and so why would God allow me, Pastor Ray, teaching the Bible, to go through a dark, depressing, demonic thing like that? Why would God allow me to go through a storm so that I could learn some things about him, so that I, I could learn some things about myself, so I could personally experience the resurrection power, the glory of the Holy Spirit, not live in fear, and then help minister to those who also are in the world, in the seas and in the storms, so that we can get out and go together and be walking with the Lord in the light of his spirit. Amen? So, okay. Now, this also story reveals what society does to a man. And I'm going to real quick go over these. Society, when you're dealing with some, a man, and by the way, some of these things that are happening, I'm just telling you, these mass shootings and really, there, there, there's human beings can be very evil and wicked. There's another level where I go, this was more than human wickedness. This was demonic. And I believe some of the things we're seeing are manifestations of where it just goes to this level that you just go, where did the guy's humanity go? He got lost. He got, you know, taken in by demons. So they restrain him. They isolate him. They threaten him. But society is unable to change that man. They, they can incarcerate them, but they can't change who they are. 
The one thing that is found that changes a man or a woman from incarceration, background, abuse, whatever they've been through, is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it still works. It really does. So what does, uh, what does Jesus do for someone whose life is bondage and battle? What did Jesus do for these two men? What he did for them was deliver them. And what he did for them, he will do for you. He delivered them by the power of his word. And number two, he restored their sanity and peace. If you have a family member or someone, a friend or whatever, they're lost. They're being tormented. Jesus is the answer. And he can heal them. He can deliver them. He can bring them into their right mind. And he can make them whole and give them a life. So let's just close with what do we learn in this story about spiritual warfare. And I'm going to go through this real quick. Number one, a believer cannot be demon-possessed. We are spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is the deepest part of you. It's kind of like the temple is, believe it or not, the temple was an earthly picture of a human being. We were made originally to be the building of God. So there's the outer court. The outer court is like your body. Our flesh is our outer court. The inner court is, is like the soul. That's where your mind is, your emotions, and your will. Inside your soul is the Spirit. The Spirit, that's where when, when Jesus comes into you and you get born again, the Holy Spirit goes into your spirit and he takes your spirit and causes it to be born. You're born as, as alive. Your spirit is, is alive, lost and dead in sin, alive through the resurrection of Jesus. Then his spirit, my spirit become one. And the demons can't go in there and mess around between you and the Lord in your spirit. But Having said that, a believer cannot be demon-possessed, but number two, a believer can be demonically oppressed, okay? So that means, and where, where does the oppression come? It comes to your soul, to your mind. Here's what demons will do, because, you know, demons talk to people, and they certainly talk to believers as well. They plant thoughts, and here's the thing, that they, they're liars and they're deceivers. They will plant a thought in your mind and then tell you it was you. And then you go, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe I had that thought. And then they're the one who planted the thought, because it's like radio frequencies. They've got ways to, to go in there and they plant this seed. And then when you feel all, and you, you think it's you, they turn around and blame you. I can't believe you just thought that. And then they come to condemn you. And then you get into this cycle where you're just, oh no, oh no, where am I? What, who am I? Whatever, whatever. So they can oppress you. So that's why sanctification is about I, I need, number one, you need to recognize and say, no, that is not my thought. That's not from me. I reject it. And I know whose it is and where it came from. And you're a liar. And I reject your lie in the name of Jesus Christ. I belong to the Lord. I am the Lord's. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So that's why you have to be, you have to take responsibility to be in the word of God. This is the truth that has power over the lies that if you give in to those lies long enough, they'll devour you, they will destroy you, and you'll lose everything that you have. So we've got to renew our minds in the Word of God. So we can be oppressed, but we can overcome that. Number three, we can be delivered by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and His Word and the Holy Spirit. And I hear an amen on that. Amen.